It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. I am your host, Kyle. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. Matt, before we begin, I want to say good choice on lunch yesterday for the suggestion you gave me. Sounded like you just cursed there, (laughs) but, you know, whatever. You got that excited about cannolis, right? Pizza, cannoli. Oh, it's a, place, it's a good time, bro. And it's right down the road from us, too. It's even better. And everybody knows I've been needing another pizza spot since mine have been, uh, you know, going out of business and things like that. I'm down to my third or fourth string pizza joint. I just so happen to cross a new pizza joint. So it's now our go-to, baby. And they, it's as right Kyle next said, to our house. they have cannolis, too. So that's what's up. The impressive thing that was, Daniel, my wife and I introduced him and his wife to Butaku Ramen in downtown Nashville the other day. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, Matt, you, was, you said uh, the broth was probably one of the best you've had, yeah, right? Yeah, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that. I'm not one for, uh, I'm very plain Jane eater, you know, and uh, for me to have oriental ramen is a little off the beaten path for me, but it was very good, I'll have to say. Now, Daniel, he started off with their uh, their hot chicken and the sticky buns. Which is actually really good. It, yeah, I've never had hot chicken either from Nashville, so uh, hey, two for one combo. Wait. Yeah, well, the sticky bun is legit, though, that they have there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a I great, love sticky buns. It's, it's uh, a great bao bun there, and of course, you can't go wrong with the ramen there. Uh, Secessuan pork is usually my go-to. It's now chicken right now, right, Go. Correct. I don't know why we're talking about so much food right now, but now I'm really hungry. I'm a little hungry, too, but Matt, before we get to the hockey news, I have to backtrack one second. How have you never had hot chicken until that day? Well, I like I just have never been to Nashville and had their special Nashville hot chicken. Like I've had hot wings and stuff my whole life, but I've never went to Nashville and had Nashville hot wings. It's kind of like you know, as a Nashville area native, it's like kind of like whatever. We're already here. Yeah, like, we're already know. here. We don't go do the tourist things. You know, everybody else does. Pedal bar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just never experienced it, but uh, I, I did enjoy it. It, it kind of tore my stomach up a little bit uh, the next day or so, but uh, it, it was good. I, I do like hot right. food. Yeah, so it was a good time. But you didn't get a picture with the angel wings, though. We got to take no. you back and get the a picture. Gulch. Let's go get it. Yeah. Go get it now. Pull there, the was, car there was a line uh, waiting to get this this picture that I didn't even know it was a really a thing uh, until you mentioned it last week. Or who was it? Mrazic or somebody took a picture of it. and Yeah, Carolina did. Carolina yeah, and uh, put it in. I didn't even know that was like a Nashville native thing. I guess it's a tourist thing, but I didn't even know it. It's but. the murals in Nashville. There's several of them, but oh, the okay. angel wings are probably the the most popular. There's even a little tiny one for the child, too. You can sit them down on precious precious moments. Yes, I know. But guys, let's get into hockey. So playoffs are in full swing. We were actually supposed to record last week, but we had some scheduling conflict and couldn't do it. So here we are this week. The <laughs> Would you call this the conference semifinals is going on? I'd call it... Uh... I don't know what to call it because they the way the layout <laughs> of the bracket is this year is nobody can make heads or tails of as the playoff was going like round two we were like who's it's the playing conference who? finals it's we the don't conference know finals so it is the conference finals but that said we definitely had some shocking moments from round two that we definitely need to go back and recap so Kyle what are we starting at so let's start with the biggest shock overall basically everyone's cup winner Avalanche fall to Vegas I mean. I'm pretty sure even the Vegas odds at the time said the Avalanche were going to be the winner. Moneypuck.com had Vegas as yeah. the, uh, I'm sorry, had the Avalanche as a winner. And here we see Vegas comes back and beats them four games of two to basically take on the Islanders. To quote Matt, this is the most dominating start to a series I have ever seen. I'll tell you, it was that was that game one. That was the most dominating game I've seen in my lifetime. Probably Colorado ended up winning the first two, though. That's the funny part is like we we thought this was over. I, I mean, yeah. Here's the deal: credit Vegas um, for exposing the one line that basically was doing everything. They they basically said, you know what, we're gonna be pretty tough on that top line with you know McKinnon and and uh, Rantanen. And we're going to leave it to depth for scoring. And guess what? They started getting it. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing for Colorado, which this has to hurt, okay? 
was the regression of basically some of their rookie defensemen that started having glaring issues on the ice. And that was, Kale McCarr wasn't as good, and then Samuel Girard looked like garbage in the second half of the series. And uh, I don't know how to put it, like, it's a big letdown for Colorado fans because, I mean, honestly, the last two years, you really felt like it was your year. I mean, let's let's be honest. And even the post-press game conference, it was pretty depressing. McKinnon was just like, what do you want me to say? Like, he's like, I, I mean, it, we keep saying every, he, I think to quote him, he was like, we keep saying every year is our year, but it ends up not being our year. So it's like, when is it our year? And then you have like, you know, some awesome reporter asking them, you know, some hilarious question. I would like to think that dude literally was drunk. Dude. It was possibly one of the worst oh, questions I that, that ever, serious. Oh. yes, I'd ever heard in a post-game press conference. Definitely, definitely and the worst the, one. The journalist who will name he will, we're just gonna not name him, okay? Basically said, "Hey, do you think next year you just go in with the mentality?" I'm laughing, already thinking about it. Just like you're not even thinking because you like you're just thinking too hard. You just say, "Screw it, let's go out." Like you know, whatever. You throw caution to the wind. And like literally, his face was so blank, and he just goes, "Next question." Like I mean, like. It, it blew my mind that some of the questions that got asked by, and like literally, you ask this right after they get off the ice and lose, bro. Like, what do you think his yeah. reaction is going to be? You wish you would have had that one back. That was not a well thought out question. Sometimes, you know, you, you try to think your questions ahead of time, and sometimes it's like a last minute, let me kind of see what the moment takes me as far as questioning. And that was one that uh, he really he got put on the spot to ask the question. It was his time. He didn't really have a good one in mind, so he kind of winged it. And, uh, Struck out on that one for sure. They, they say he's the Jared Stillman of Colorado reporters. Okay, that might make a little more sense then. But I don't even know if I've heard Jared kind of ask a more ill-timed question than that. And I mean, it was pretty bad. I, I don't know. It, it, it's a major disappointment. So like for me, like, and I guess like we can just discuss this briefly. What does Colorado have to do next year? I mean, honestly, like what else do they have I mean, to you add? Can't, you can't do better than President's Trophy though. I, I mean, that's my point is like you saw a regression of their their younger defensemen. So I think in a way you have to be a little happier because you have another year more experience. But at the same time, too, like, man, I really thought this was the year because everyone was clicking. But then all of a sudden you get to the playoffs and then your defensemen have a regression. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think for them. You have to bank on the fact that they got another year underneath their belt. They don't have that regression in the playoffs. And then hopefully, maybe you have some prospects come in and you have to add some sort of depth scoring outside their top line. Wouldn't you agree? Well, well, I think the key factor is, even if on paper Colorado's the better team, what we found was whatever line it was uh, for Vegas actually did a very good job shutting down McKinnon until like game five or six. So more than half the series, they kept McKinnon and company off the board, which, as we kind of said, Colorado was a bit of a one-trick pony. If, if you can shut down their top line, you're winning the ballgame. And, that, and that's what Vegas was able to do, even though Colorado doesn't necessarily, isn't missing a lot of pieces. I mean, they're the best team all year. It's just that Vegas was able to take those key matchups and win it in the particular zones that they knew they had to win the game. Like, uh, I know they were shutting them down in the neutral zone, not letting them get off the rush. Flurry happened to play very well. I mean, these are just little key things that that make a game change from losing to winning, and they were able to to eke this one out for sure. And as we'll allude to, uh, it seems the refs seem to be favoring Vegas. I've seen a couple Ooh. punches to the face as the ref is staring at the guy for Vegas who did it, and then he, as he like looks back to see if the ref is watching, and the ref is he turns away real quick to act like he didn't see it. Uh, there's mm. some uh, conspiracy theories about the league wanting Vegas to win, and it's, it, yeah. it's at least enough that people have noticed the referees seem to be favoring Vegas for whatever reason. Now, the, the punch you're talking about is in the current series with them facing Montreal, and Which, I saw that punch, and I was like, the, the, the ref looks at him, and you can tell he starts to put his hand up like he's going to call a penalty, and then Seth starts to reach up and scratch his head and look the yeah, other I didn't way. See it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even as like Matt likes Vegas, but at the same time, too, some of them have been pretty blatant. You know, like 
what are you doing? Like, I, honestly, I think they've missed calls on both ends. It's not just Vegas. Well, but again, I, I, you know, I, this year we're having some trouble with the officiating. And I saw a report, I think it was Sportsnet, somebody. Wes McCauley has not been here since, was it round one? And the, and the guy writing this report is like, where's Wes McCauley? You know, it, it, there's a lot of criticism this year around the ref. So why is he not in? Because he's kind of like the most well-respected and well-regarded. He's had like eight finals on his resume. So why is he not here? Is he possibly coming back for the finals? And and you read this report and he was basically like, he's not injured and we don't know. There's a hope that he'll come back for the finals, even though it seems slim. But the entire article, he doesn't specify why he's not playing round yeah, three. It's really strange. I'm like, I don't know if they're trying to save face and and maybe at least have one referee that everybody doesn't look down to and think that they're garbage. But at the same time, you add him back in the lineup or so, you know, the officiating crew, and he he can can level things out, and he is the respected one that has has a level playing field as far as the way he calls the game. So you'd think you'd want that veteran uh, officiator in there. So I have him suspiciously absent and not mention why he's out. Is it COVID related? Is it you know? And nobody knows, which is it's a huge question mark given the uncertainty with officiating. Yeah, and not to jump too far ahead, but we got to go back and kind of park our car here on Montreal for a minute. So Montreal ends up sweeping the Jets. Who's who it who had swept the Oilers, by the way. Okay. Oh yeah. So a very weird North Division. Well and then Montreal ends up going on to face Vegas. And everyone basically, let's just say this from the start. No one has given Montreal any credit. Literally zero credit up till this point. And, fellas, this series is knotted up at 2-2. Would you have thought, at the start of the playoffs, that the last seeded team coming in would be knotted up with the Vegas Golden Knights? Who was... In the conference yeah. final, who was right behind the President's Trophy. Yeah, they were like tied. And, by the way, they still had to get through the Jets, Toronto, and or slash the Oilers. In the North Division. Yeah, I, I'm on the bandwagon of... It's ridiculous. Uh, you know, the Canadians really shouldn't have even made the playoffs. They finished something like 17th in the league, and only like the 15, top 15, get in the playoffs. But it just so happened that they have a dedicated North Division. So I, I said if it wasn't for the North having their own sh- shoe-in to get in the playoffs automatically, the Canadians shouldn't even be in the playoffs, much less playing the best team in the league, tied for, and not less tying them up. But, not but here's the deal. Like, you've watched the games. They're actually playing well. Like, they're really reminding me of the 2017 Braves. In, in a way, like, if you think yeah, about sure. Carey Price got smoking hot. I mean, literally smoking hot. Like, that Jet series, I mean, it was ridiculous. Okay? I mean, he was putting up, like, a .95 save percentage during that series. Then you move on to this series, and it literally is... It's the Preds, again, in 2017. Like, they'll try to score one or two goals, and then they shut it down. And they try to get out first. Obviously, the the key for them is scoring first. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Like, it, it really is. They have if to score Montreal first. Montreal has to get on the board within the first 10 minutes. If not, then they're going to be playing from behind the whole game. But that that's the, how they started the series. Starting off hot for the first 10 minutes. The first game, I think they couldn't get on the board. They caused them some trouble. Second game, they got on the board in the first 10 minutes. I think it was the third game. Vegas started picking up on that. Hey, we got to slow these guys down to start off. But, you know, Montreal's had great depth scoring. Jeff Petrie has been excellent. Corey Perry has been been on fire. He's been awesome. He's clutch. You know, there is a member, I forget the exact stat, but it's like the triple gold club winning on all levels of hockey. And there's like three or four Canadians to do it. Sidney Crosby and Corey Perry and Corey Perry is like the the guy who sticks out that you don't think should be in that category. But Corey Perry is a is a freaking player, dude. And it's playoff time. You know, you see, did you see that high stick the other day where he got uh, oh, bloody yeah. nose, and then they ended up winning an OT, and he's got their high five and all. And I was like, man, he, looks, he looks better. Yeah, I was like, he looks ugly. This like, guy he was, literally looks butt ugly. We like to trash him, but he is born for hockey for these moments, man. And and he's helping. And that's just one of those. He's he's a guy who a lot not a lot of people still think he's really you know a high quality player, but they're getting. They're milking their team and their roster for everything it's worth. They are getting depth scoring. They've especially got a couple young studs. You get Caulfield on a breakaway, it's lights out. They've been killer. They've had actually on the PK, Montreal has scored more goals shorthanded than they've let in. 
which also goes to the opposite side. You look at Vegas has been 0 for 10 on the power play going into last game. Marc-Andre Fleury had two absolute, uh, should not, their accidents that he shouldn't have let in. They cost Vegas the game. Fleury's been kind of choking, honestly. Their power play has been choking. Canadians are hungry. They want it. And they, they have, they feel like they've got a chip on the shoulder because they've had to fight to get here and they're doing it. They only spent $750,000 on Perry, by the way. Yeah, that's, that's a bargain play. Yeah, I, I mean, like, that's the thing is, like, Montreal's just been that chippy team. Like they, like I said, they score once or, once or twice. They play trap defense. They have great goaltending right now, and that's all they're doing. That's Literally, that's all they're doing. They're not reinventing the wheel, but it's like, at what point does the luck run out? I mean, like, seriously. Like, ser- uh, like I, I don't know, but at this point, I'm giving, I'm giving full credit to where credit is due. Montreal has completely shocked me. They have played extremely well despite being one of the lowest-seeded teams to come in. Uh, I, it, it's just crazy that they're at the point they are uh, losing the other night. They'll really hurt them because they, they were basically winning that game the entire night, and then they end up conceding it in basically the last 10, 15 minutes. Now it's tied up, and now Vegas has the home field advantage again, so I am still leaning more towards Vegas, well, obviously, does- towards to winning the series, but who knows right now? Because, I mean, literally all the stats have been thrown out for Montreal up to this point. At the, at the start of the series, it was kind of a question of, well, we think this is going to be a goaltender show-off between Carey Price and, and Fleury, you know, two kind of gray beards who have had a great career. Um, Price has been solid, you know, consistent. Here's yes. the problem for Vegas. They've been so inconsistent. They, the first game of the series, they I think that was this series, where they gave uh, Fleury a rest. And and uh, Robin Leonard got destroyed for like seven goals or something, and so like that okay, was in the Colorado series. Was that the first series? Okay. Well, so Leonard's been shaky to start. Then Flurry has a couple where he misplays the puck behind his net. His own skate oh. knocks the knocks the oh, puck dude. in his crease. Easy tapping goal. Then later in the game, I think it was OT. He's out beyond his crease and he gets like a rebound and it's an easy tapping goal. And so he gets sat. And then Robin Lehner comes back in last game, does well. Uh, they get, I think it was the W last game. That's the problem, But the question though. is, who do you play next game? Because <sighs> both of your goalies have been inconsistent. Both of them have given up like seven goals or something. So, uh, they're, in fact, on the Twitter, because they're playing tonight in about you know two-ish hours, they were doing some debate on who's going to be the first one off the ice. And Robin Lehner was telling Flurry to get off the ice first because whoever's off the ice means that they should be the starting goalie. But he only did that in jest to try to get the reporters to go crazy, trying to speculate that they were going to play Fleury and not Leonard. And uh, as a matter of fact, speaking of criticisms on Twitter, Leonard said he got to the arena two hours early last game just to try to read up on the Twitter feed about him starting and what have you and to get him fired up and uh, get a chip I, on his shoulder to go out and get a W for Vegas uh, that night. I do laugh at his posts because he's definitely anti-media for sure, and he cracks yeah. me up. But uh, well, I like the, the same, fact that he's very aware of what's being said about him. So he's And he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Like, he literally doesn't give anything. Like, it's it's pretty refreshing, actually. But at the same time, too, it's like, they definitely have a good situation. It is 1A, 1B. And we even said this too. We thought Vegas was going to have great goaltending because either way, you like you have a starter technically, like literally a true and tested starter on you know one A or one B. Um, that said, it's like man, if they keep flip flopping back and forth, like say Leonard comes out tonight and has a really terrible night, and the Habs win, and now they're on the brink of elimination. Do you go back to Flurry? Like that? That's my thing. It's like there's a lot of flip flopping, and it's. It's very difficult decision right now uh, for Bruder to make these these uh, these decisions. Kind of over there choking and and, and honestly, that's that's shaky because what is it now? Game or game five? Well, so you're yeah, going that, you're going into the home stretch. Your power play has been a joke. Your yes. goaltending is is questionable. These are and and you're going against a team who's hungry, who's consistent, who's scrappy. Uh, and they've, uh, yeah. gotten, they've gotten, even though Montreal is not as deadly on the, uh, they're not nearly as physical either as Vegas is, but they've gotten higher quality scoring chances in the inner slot. Five on five for sure. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I'm kind of liking Canadians going forward, but who knows? You just don't have in your heart to pick the Canadians. Yeah. No, no way. Yeah. Screw the Canadians. <laughs> I, I've got, I'm wearing a Vegas hat right now. You know where my loyalties lie, but uh, I'm just saying, it, but I'm, you have to I'm give them some scared. credit. You have to give them a lot of credit. I, yeah. I mean, this, 
This is impressive. Out of the teams left, yeah, the ones that I'm the most impressed by, not only because they're the underdog, but because I like the way they play. They're getting that entire, like I said, they're squeezing all of the talent out of the roster. They're getting depth. Depth playmaking is the is the Montreal Canadiens. And you yep. know what? They should be good for them. They've been it's been a while since they've been here, so good for them. Now let's shift gears real quick to talk about Tampa Bay. So <laughs> that's how <laughs> you screw screw Tampa Every, Bay. everyone's most hated. Screw team. Tampa. Yeah, I I'm sorry. I'm over Tampa. <laughs> I, would, I know everybody I'd is. I'd rather yeah, thanks, Kyle. We'll take it from here. <laughs> yeah, like, I would rather. I, yeah, you just brought up a bit. How about let's park it on the other series before we get to this one? Because this could be a long rant. Okay, but maybe let's go up to the Islanders really quick. Let's let's calm down for a second. Okay, okay. So we'll switch gears here. Then and we'll really go up to quickly, the Islanders. The Islanders obviously beat Boston in their series, which sad was face sad Matt. face for Matt. Let's just recap that briefly. First of all, they play great. They, I'll tell you. And I told you too. I literally said this. I sat on this podcast and I was like, if they find a way to shut down just a little bit of production because they needed pasta and Marshan and Marshan was Marshan's trying. Marshan, Marshan did everything he could in that series. I will give that to him. He did everything he could, but they have no depth scoring. And honestly, and as, a, as a fanboy, I've secretly been telling my wife, I'm like, you know, it wouldn't be terrible if we were able to go to an Islanders game going up on a Long Island. Their barn has been rock and well, row. I will say this. The barn regressed a little bit for the Lightning series, but the barn for the Boston series yeah, oh, was yeah. lit. Because, yeah. And I even said this. I was like, man, going into the series, I was like, it's New York versus Boston. If there's a two groups that don't like each other yeah. anymore, it's like the New York Yankees versus the Boston Red Sox, you know. But it's the hockey equivalent, you yeah. know. That's why I'm like, here we go. Like, and man, that Boston been, series, what that barn that I think it was the second third night. I mean, they were literally the amount of explicitives that they were saying about the GM. Literally, they had chance. Like, it was hilarious. Like the fans, uh, they had so many videos on YouTube. I've been yeah. watching on Twitter. Oh my god, they were they throwing. Were fired did you see up. the stuff that they were throwing on the ice? Yes, uh, even with the GM's face on it. Yes. Oh my lord, like. So funny. Like that crowd for the Boston series ma made the playoffs for me. I was like, this is hilarious. And they, they absolutely crushed the Bruins. And then they actually win four to two for that series. Thought it was going to be a little longer, in my personal opinion, because I thought Boston had a little bit more to give. Boston, once again, is disappointed <laughs> because they have not won literally in the last 10. So this will be the 10th year that they haven't won. They won in 2000, I think 10 or 11. Yeah, so now I, this I is going to I don't care though. They're a perennial semifinals team I like. know, but it's so sad because like you look at this list of players too and the, Oh, oh and yeah, their the, windows the door closing. The is yeah. slamming shut. No doubt. And they should have they should have won at least one or two more cups in the last 10 years yeah, in I agree. my opinion. Um it's very sad though because you got to I mean like look, are they the ones Taylor that uh, is unrestricted somebody has a bunch of UFAs it's, this it's year. Boston. Is it it's Boston. It's right here on Cat Friendly. Oh, dude, look at this. <laughs> I mean, look, you got Tuka Rask is even coming up on UFA. Yeah, well, he's, he's staying. Yeah, uh, Rask submitted himself pretty firmly because he played really well actually in the playoffs. But like, you go up, you have some major names like Taylor Hall. You got half their freaking roster is is UFA pretty much. Uh, I, I They're going to have a major identity crisis Cr next time. Uh, I mean, it's going to be really difficult. And you got to look at look at look at what's coming up here very soon. Is you even have some of your big heavy hitters like Bergeron and Pasta in the next two years, these people are going to be unrestricted free agents. So like you're going to have to resign them. And of course they're going to command probably some pretty good money. So honestly, Boston might have one, maybe two, maybe, maybe two years and, and it's getting blown up. Honestly, next year it's going to be totally different looking to begin with, but Definitely, definitely sad times for. I'm not too sad for Boston. Boston wins the championship in some sport every other year, but at the same time, too, give credit to Trotty, baby. Oh, I'm I, on I the Trotz train, baby. I am on the Trotz train now. I, I said it in passing the other day, but he's probably the best, the best coach of my era, honestly. Well, here's the deal, too. They were saying that before Trotz, too, like the Islanders had like this huge, and I can't remember the stat, but since he left. The Capitals, he has gone to, uh, he's advanced past his former team three times. And then on top yeah. of it, he's been to two semifinals, like in a row. So this is actually a full-on rematch, full sh foreshadowing. But this is a full-on conference finals rematch again. And, and he is absolutely killing it. And then that brought up the question and was like, 
is Trotz just really that good at implementing his system? Like, I, I mean, honestly, it, it seems like he is because think, no matter where he goes at this point, he has done well. He built the Predators, and then, of course, he, had, he left. He goes to Washington. He wins them a cup. Now he goes to the Islanders, who literally were in the basement, okay? And now they're making the play- playoffs every year and the conference finals almost every year. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah, not only is he a good coach and can and can implement his processes in the roster, but what I think another part of the secret sauce is that he teaches and preaches such a unique system compared to the rest of the league, which is going much faster, uh, much heavier hitting type of situation. And Trotz is, you know, that classic defense type mentality. That is such a, a wild card compared to the way the rest of the league plays that as long as you're able to implement that with uh, mild success, you you actually have great success because it's almost like uh, a team. So who, who are they playing? Well, maybe not a Tampa Bay situation, but if you look at, especially if you're going into playoffs, playing teams that's never played you all year, the team you're playing in the semifinals might have never played against a team that has a defensive mindset all year because there's only like two or three really that do it very well. So not only is Trotz able to do it with with great success due to his coaching skill, but just the system in general is almost kind of like diametrically opposed to the way the rest of the league fights. And and that in itself is a unique advantage. Well, uh, one thing that you're seeing is the teams that are going further um, in the playoffs have scoring depth, like you said, have had scoring depth and or, or slash playing incredible defense. It's one or the other. Um, sometimes a combination which you're seeing. But that said, I mean, like Canadians, solid defense right now. They're playing their system to the T. Islanders, solid defense. They've been playing it to the T. You know, they've, they've actually been getting a lot more offensive too. The, like you have some, you know, contributions like Barzell and others really adding. Yeah, Islanders uh, are surprisingly good on the power play as well. You yes. wouldn't think it, but yeah, <clears throat> they're so, opportunistic, um, man. So that said, I've been very impressed with the Islanders. So now we can drop down to Tampa beating... The Hurricanes, which was another one of my favorite teams, which we all like. We all like those underdogs. Even though technically this year, Hurricanes weren't an underdog. I just like them. Um, well, yeah, I boy, knew that, they, got, um, they got destroyed. I knew Tampa was going to destroy them. Yeah, it, that, that was a quick series. Uh, four to one, which brings us up to this Islanders and Tampa Bay series where, man, the, the Lightning now are winning the series three to two. Let's leading the start the discussion off with one question we talked about. Uh, uh, here we go. Just throw it out there. If the Tampa Bay Lightning win this cup, it will be their second year in a row they've won the cup. They are currently over $18 million over on the cap the space. Cap. Over yeah, $18 the million dollars over yeah. the cap. Should they win the cup, do you think that rule is going to be changed? Because that's a major loophole right now. I'm going to put it like this. I'll go ahead and let oh, you go okay. first. Yeah, yeah because we, we're going to have some hot takes on this. So you're telling me that Kucherov and like Stamkos, correct, were on long-term injury reserve and then they couldn't play in air quotes, as Matt's throwing over here, all the way up to the playoffs. But then game one, not, not even game two or three, let's just throw that out there. Game one, they get reinserted into the lineup. Kucherov has two goals in that game alone on the power play, okay? And he looks like he's been playing literally all year, and he just came off the long-term injury reserve. You cannot tell me this is not fishy, okay? Like, I'm sorry. Here's the deal. The rule is the way it is. And guess what? They just exploited it to the 10th degree. Because, I mean... You have your two best players, like literally the two players that command the most cap space. Look at this. Are the two that are on long-term injury reserve. So for those who can't see because it's an audio podcast, Kucherov currently is worth $9.5 million on the cap and Stamkos is $8.5 million on the cap. Oh my gosh. And those two players were on long-term injury <laughs> reserve until the playoffs started and then got to come off without a single hit against That's- them. That's uh, more than half of the the rest of the roster budget, I believe. It's so them two alone is twenty two twenty three point one percent. Okay, so one fourth of their roster uh, capital, essentially. Yeah, 
But so here's the problem. So you say, well, that's that's an issue. You know, it seems kind of fishy. Well, it's been kind of going on for a couple of years. I know a few years ago, I don't know if it was Patrick Kane who was on it, but the Blackhawks did it when they won the cup. It's been also another one or two times in the last 15 years where this has happened. It's kind of fishy, but if they didn't fix it then, I'm not inclined to think that they're going to fix it now because but it's not just one team that's habitually doing it. It seems to be whatever team has that can do it will use it. I think the problem, though, is is that with social media being so prevalent now, this is becoming a bigger issue that's just getting brought up more and more and more and more. When Chicago, of course, did exploit this as well, there weren't a lot of people paying attention on social media about all this. And now you've got people like, uh, I can't remember the Carolina uh, person, it may have been Doogie Hamilton or somebody else, who basically was like, yeah, we lost because they're $18 million above the cap. Yeah, Literally yeah. called it out. Yeah, I... I, I I mean, but this one, this year is more blatant than others just because of well, how yeah. egregious it is. Exactly. It's yeah, I mean, top when, two when, you're, guys. when you're talking 20 something percent over and then on top of it, they come back in and they've just been lighting up like newsflash. They just beat the Islanders last night eight to zero. Yeah, I think eight uh, to zero. I think the reason another why like, it's so salty is because they, they are just coming off winning the cup last year. So people are going to have they don't less need an advantage. They're going to have less tolerance to that this year. But you know, whoever it is makes the rules. I don't know if it's the league or a player. I don't know exactly, but it seems to be that if it's if it's like a, a general consensus vote amongst GMs, I don't really think they're they're going to be inclined to change it because they might say, "Well, Tampa Bay did that. I wonder if I can do that coming up in the future and work it to my advantage." I, I don't know, but I, I tell you what. So, but what's the fix though? That that's my thing. Is like, how do you fix that? Well, exactly. That's another like, point of perspective. Okay, okay, this is wrong. So that we got a rule here, and the rule is meant for good. And now you guys are the letter of the law. To, you're 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 defeating the spirit of the law. But okay, so how do we fix it? I don't know. See, and that's my point because if you put a player on long-term injury reserve, it should technically take away from your cap space to be able to do stuff. But if that player magically can come back, like that's my thing is like, are there going to be like playoff exemptions, or if the long-term injury reserve basically, uh, you know, there's so many days. That you have to be on long-term like when you activate it's just like injury reserve you have so many games that you have to sit it's the same thing for long-term injury reserve well say if you activate long-term injury reserve and that long-term injury reserve crosses into the postseason or we know it's going to be in the postseason i think at that point the team should not be able to levy do you see what i mean like maybe there needs to be like a a rebalancing the budget at the beginning of playoffs to Uh, account for situations like that possibly well you have to remember this entire rule was put in place so that if i go out and i spend 9.5 million dollars on a player and he gets injured two days later well i'm technically out that 9.5 million dollars sitting on a bench somewhere and i'm then allowed to take that money and go get me another couple pieces but the agreement's supposed to be once that player comes back those two other players either get traded sent down to the minors something to get something to rebalance the book yeah and and i don't even necessarily agree with that okay so say kucherov gets hurt well the rule like you said okay well i can allocate his money somewhere else to rebuild my roster i think why why is that even a thing though why should the league bail you out you made a commitment to like like a stock and it happened to take a crap your big stock guy got hurt why should I bail you out and let you buy another stock? That's that was your risk. You took well, on the you risk. Your player you're got basically hurt. borrowing against yourself. They're not borrowing against the league. If I give you ten million dollars, and say you got a player, and that player got hurt, well, that ten million dollars is technically tied up in that player. But you're basically borrowing that ten million dollars again from yourself to go get somebody else. Yeah, but, but my whole thing is too. I think there has to be some sort of stipulation with the the time frame. Like, oh, yeah, the, there should that, be. That makes sense in the regular season because, like, say he's out 30, 40 games, whatever it is. Well, that's half your season. Okay. Well, it makes sense to go get the other player or get a couple assets in return to add some debt. But at the same time, too, like, if that period crosses over into the playoffs, this has to be something that's look at, especially, oh, especially like when a player's been on there for so long and they've now passed the minimum amount of time to return. Therefore, it, that's my thing, is like, say you had to sit at least 20 games, okay? And we get maybe five games out from the playoffs, and we realize, you know what? 
we've made the playoffs. We don't actually need to push. We're pretty good, kind of like the Lightning were. They knew they were making the playoffs, okay? There's not a there's not a doubt in their mind. But but that's the thing. They already had hit the minimum, so they could activate that player at any time. What is it for me to wait five more games? We're already in the playoffs. Do you see do you see my point? Like we're already there. So let's just wait five more games and then get that cap space back. Like literally it's a free person. Pretty it's much. Two, it's two free people. That's my point is it once they pass the minimum amount of time, there there has to be something like in place because I'm like that is that then it's up to the team's discretion when they reactivate him off of the long term injury reserve and teams that are already in the playoffs and know they're making in the playoffs and don't want to wait that extra or can afford to wait that extra. Guess what? It's done. The Hawks did it. The Lightning are going to do it. You know, I heard an interesting take from Elliot Freeman. He said that uh, this is a situation where the Tampa is essentially like the villain. Now everybody in the league hates them. But he said that's actually kind of good for business because you need a bad guy and there's not really any bad boys in the league currently as a team. Kind of everybody hated or indoor loved Vegas when when they just entered the league. And how you remember how hot Twitter was over that and how really good it was for business? Honestly, it is a good look as far as a business to have a team where everybody hates because they're generating hype. It's getting trending on Twitter. It's having somewhere to vent your frustration like, uh, you know, your Stephen Dangles. You're having a team to be able to hold a grudge against, and that's good for business. But as putting out a product on the ice that's, uh, you know, that's my equally point. and fairly that's distributed. Yeah. Like, we had put a flipping cap in for a reason. Exactly. Like, okay, here, here's the deal. Like, I'm not going to degrade what, but before the cap, there was a few teams that really just beat up on teams. Okay. The hat. Yeah, Matt Struggan. Survival of the fittest, Matt, Matt is a, like, not the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, so the Detroit did that for a bit. Uh, back in the day, uh, the Habs, I mean, there was like a stretch of decade there where they won like six cups. You know, like... You got the Oilers too as well? Yeah, Oilers too. So here's the deal. There's a reason why the cap was implemented, but my point is, like I said, there has to be some sort of adjustment to this rule, especially like for the... And that's the thing. This loophole is perfect for teams that are already in a good position. Like I said, that's that's the ironic part. That's my problem is because you you saw it with the the Hawks and now you're seeing it with the Lightning and and that's the whole point is like they can afford to rest those players because they already knew they were in the playoffs. Like like, here's the deal. If if, um, Forsberg was on long-term injury, say Forsberg and Yossi are on long-term injury reserve or Soros, okay? And we're 10 games left in the season and they they've hit the minimum amount and we are right on the cusp of making the playoffs guess who's getting activated they're putting in our best players that didn't have to happen for the lightning the lightning comfortably were in the playoffs that that's my point and and that's where it gets to the point where literally like it's up to the discretion of the club to activate them and i don't know if that becomes like a third party thing like they start looking at them like hey this dude's been practicing for like a month he looks pretty good. Maybe you should probably activate. You know, you know, I, I, I don't know. That's where the gray area comes in. It's like, I don't know how they're going to start policing that, but there has to be something. There has to be something in place, especially for that minimum amount and teams that like, it, it's a perfect loophole. I, I mean, it's absolutely perfect. And like Matt said, it's catered for the better teams. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but... Uh... Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. I think uh, we've we got off on a good tangent there. I think uh, we set our piece on it at the least. There's still some unrest, and uh, that's the way everybody feels about it right now. So, so well, so therefore, we all want the Islanders to win. Exactly. So everybody's <laughs> ready for much. the Islanders. Screw Tampa. I mean, Tampa oh, Bay said the whole nation three two. Yeah, the whole nation is literally like rooting for the Islanders at this point yeah. because everyone, everyone hates the Lightning. Um. But after seeing last night's thrashing, but, the, the power play's kicking. Five on five's now back. But it's odd because it's now back. The point, the problem is, Lightning had been so effing dominant, and I think last night was their first five on five goal. Was it? Let me look at my notes. Yeah, this is all, because all series. They're also they. I think it was maybe last night or the last game. That was the first point they've had from a defenseman. Like they're only operating at like half strength as it is. Well, that's no. what happens when you're effing like 20% over your max budget. Yeah, like. <laughs> and your power play is operating at like 40%. You know, it's uh, like, that. that's my thing. It's like, 
they're getting all their goals from power plays. Like, I mean, honestly, yeah, yeah. Last night was not a good showing for the Islanders. Also, now we mentioned how uh, Vegas has a bit of a identity crisis in net. Islanders are the same way now too. Uh, Varlamov and uh, who's the other Russian? I'm losing a my left-handed mind. Russian. Yeah, as the, Barry Trotz would say. Yeah, the, you got some. They had pulled both goalies. One of them went out last night, and they're like, ah, he might get the, the second guy almost got hurt, and he might come back in. The first guy, I don't know. They also, you see in the Islanders take a bunch of frustration penalties, which is not their system at all. Yeah, they got to stay out of the box. For for them to have any chance these last two games, they've got to stay out of the box. By the way, Tampa Bay is operating at 39.2% on the power play through three rounds of play. I I, I mean, quite frankly, so that might be one of the best stat lines I've ever seen. Like, it, I, I mean, that's dumb. Much like Montreal, Tampa is going to live and die with the first 10 minutes. Uh, so the stat is they go from when they score first, they are nine and one. And when they don't, they're one and four. They went from like almost never losing to almost never winning if they don't get on the board it's first. It's like they steamroll. It's like once they get that first one in and they're the first on the board, it's like there's this blood in the water mentality yeah i mean you saw it last night i mean 40 it was like 40 seconds in it was in and i'm like uh oh this could be a quick game and it got out of hand really quick um that said i mean the islanders cannot take they cannot take any more penalties like that <laughs> like you have got to stay out of the box i mean this team is operating at 40 percent 40 percent through three rounds i don't know if i've ever seen that high of a, a stat line through three rounds I mean, that, that's, that's as, impressive. As I looked the other night, and not just off of last night, but just kind of as we've been watching the series develop, I'm thinking, you know, yeah, we like the Isles. Yeah, Vegas has been strong all year. But honestly, I don't think anybody can beat the Lightning. They are still as dominant, if not more dominant, than they were last year when they won. Well, let me <sighs> ask you this then, Matt. How likely is it that we could see a Tampa Bay versus Montreal final? Uh, he's looking pretty good. I would say. I would say Montreal is going to win that. I think uh, the woes Mo- uh, Vegas has had in net with Marc-Andre Fleury is going to break their back. Canadians are extremely opportunistic. They're an underdog, and they are going to score on those little itty-bitty uh, minute chances they get. Uh, and obviously, Tampa Bay is going to crush. Uh, I did not say crush. It's been a pretty good series. But I think, I think uh, Tampa Bay is going to prevail. It is very likely the Canadians are going to prevail over Vegas, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Well, I will say this though: when Tampa was, or uh, when the Knights were able to pull out that win in OT the other night, it did flip home field advantage back to the Knights. Which, that's that's which is very huge, noticeable. But also at the same time, too, the Habs have actually proven that they can beat them on their own turf, which was very shocking to me as well. Like Matt said, so the, it's uh, one of those tonight will definitely be the maker break. I mean, it's a two-two. Obviously, the the winner of the two, you know, the fifth game is pretty telling in a two-two series. Um, most of the time, the the winner of this game goes on. I think um, um, one thing that goes underrated with home field advantage, they say, oh, you know, the crowd, it plays a large factor. Well, uh, really, I think the main factor, we kind of don't ever really mention it, why teams are so good at home is because they get last change, which means yes. the visiting team has to put their five players on the ice, and then the home coach says, okay, I'm going to send out whatever line I want on the ice once I've seen who they're selecting for, for this face-off. So they get the key matchups. So the key matchups on the home team work really well against a team that's stacked very high on like a top end, like Colorado. So if Vegas had home field uh, advantage to get the right faceoffs against Vegas, uh, I'm sorry, against uh, Colorado, that's great because they're so top heavy. They can, they can, they always make sure that they have the right pairing the for right the pairing. top line. But with the, the Habs, they Montreal have the is so deep yeah. that having that advantage isn't really as good as it should be against a team like Montreal. And that's just another one of those wild intangibles that just happens to give the Canadians, you know, a bit of life here. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's going to be a fun series. Uh, Eight o'clock here. We got 30 minutes until oh the puck drops. So I'm putting some more we're, money. We're literally we're dropping the headphones and just going to walk to the other room. <laughs> well, before we do that, let's do a survey, boys. Oh, man. I know Matt's a big fan of polls. Uh, um, yeah, I do. He, he loves Finnegan polls. released his, uh, I think it was his version 3.0 of the Predators fan survey. And so I was actually going to do these questions, but I thought, you know what, guys? Let's do this. This is a great thing for us to do together. I would love to see our answers. See what we think. So, all right. First question. 
Which best describes your feelings about the current state of the Predators franchise? Are you optimistic, skeptical, indifferent, frustrated, or pessimistic? Man, I, uh, no, I'll let you guys start. No, no, I'll take it back. I'll no, start. No, Matt wants it. <laughs> I'll take it back. Yeah, I like to go first. Um, He's pessimistic. I'm pessimistic. <laughs> well, I yeah, I'm still him. in the, in the burn the camp down, uh, and I'd oh. like for uh, me to go first and get that out of the way. That way we don't end on a low note there and no, you guys can bring it's us fine. up with a little bit more optimism, maybe. Actually, no. I'll bring you a little higher. I'm frustrated. Okay. okay. That's a frustrated. slight improvement. All right. Okay. What about you, Daniel? Uh, I'm in between the indifferent and the skeptical, so I guess that makes me indifferent if I'm in between. Yes, (laughs) nailed it. But but (laughs) that said, I I think I was, I think I was pessimistic most of the year. And then we go on this run and we actually see some like improvements and some younger players come in. So I think it just moved me to indifferent. So like, I'm not, I'm not opportunistic optimistic that's for sure but we got some life at the end there you know yeah I, I like that question because i could see that going multiple ways like last year you know technically didn't make the playoffs but this year you did so that's cause for optimism coach is going better than expected lately yeah, i mean yeah I the was, last half of the year was great so i could see how some people would answer that optimistically no, you i'm know? still indifferent because well, that leads right into the next question i need a full season baby <laughs> well like oh, i said here Matt, we go. next question how much did the Predators' 27-1 record in the second half of the season change your outlook on the team's direction? Well, slightly. That was... Slightly. That was a good segue. I didn't even know it. Slightly, significantly, or not at all? Slightly. It's, it's slightly not. It was, it's not... It, here, here. You can't judge that off of a full season, but it's enough to make you at least a little happier about the season. And you can't say not at all because the team was 27-1. I mean, they were like the second best record behind Colorado. So, we, so are we all going to say slightly on slightly, that Slightly. Right. That makes sense. That's pretty, uh, yeah. All right. Here you go, Matt. You'll like this one. Third question. Ideally, how should the Predators approach this offseason? Should they blow it up? Undergo a full-scale <laughs> rebuild and trade several core players? Do we do a soft reset, which involves tweaking the core, filling roster holes with prospects? Do we go for it, which is making a splashy trade or free agent sign-in? Or do we stay the course and do nothing? Oh man, what a good question! That's Matt, a good one. Matt's still, I, 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 there's cre- again, there's credit every direction here, man. I, I've got an opinion. I'm like, oh, I like this one. Well, I could also see it this way. Uh, Matt, Matt is going to lean I'm towards on, blow I'm it on up. The blow it up. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I've said it all year. I, I'm hardly swayed off of that, so that's going to be my pick. Blow it up. Undergo full scale rebuild. <laughs> trade several core players and contend. All right, Kyle, what are you thinking? I'm thinking the soft reset. Okay, tweak the core. Fill roster holes with prospects. Okay. Um, I, you know, at one point, first of all, stay the course. Whoever put that, get out. (laughs) Okay. That's stupid. No major additions or subtractions. Well, guess what? There are going to be major additions and subtractions because of the expansion draft. So I'm throwing that one out automatically. Hey, some people want to stay the course with the playoffs, baby. And at one point, I would have leaned towards making the splash. Okay. I mean, hey, there's there's going to be some people out there. I mean, we've heard Eichel thrown around. He he might get potentially traded. You have Taylor Hall, unrestricted free agent. Don't, don't get my hopes up, man. You're just you're, oh, you, you're just you want to go you want to go for it now. Wanna I don't want to go for it. You're just no. throwing out some juicy biscuits with I'm, names like doing, Eichel and Taylor Hall. You get me excited for no reason. Yeah, well, I mean, th- that's the one thing that we all know is like we have lacked a prolific score, and one of those might be that. But that said, I'm going to go with the soft reset just because of the way the question was filled. Uh, it said fill roster holes with prospects. The I, wants, what. I want the prospects and the younger. I want the youth movement to actually happen. All I know is it took you about five minutes to say the same thing Kyle said in 10 seconds. I feel like you had to talk yourself into that no, decision a little bit. No, it's it's definitely it's definitely prospects because you got to think that's that was their game plan. And they started doing that towards the end of the season. And we actually started to have that record that we had. Hey, we vibing, bro. Exactly. So well, right. are you going to vibe on this question then? On a scale of one to five, five being the highest. How confident are you that the Predators oh, general man. manager David Poole can return the team to Stanley Cup contender status? What a question. Five being high, one being low. I, I will say a two. 
I think me and uh, Mr. Poyle probably have a, I think Poyle has a fundamental uh, misunderstanding of where I think the organization should head, which is kind of towards the cell area. And he tends to, his trade style is like stay the course, keep slightly retooling. I don't think he's going to ever admit while he's GM that it's ever going to be rebuild time. So I think that he will have kind of almost like a, I don't know, he's, he's out in left field. His ideology won't necessarily match up with what the team actually is called for and needs at the time being. So I think he's going to have a fundamental, It's he's going to try to shoehorn in his, what he thinks that should happen. And it might not be actually what's best for the team or the direction the team honestly is headed. So I fundamentally think he's he's probably going to be on the outside looking in as far as returning. So you're a solid two. Solid two. That's where I'm at. Solid two. Love GMDP. He's done the organization well, but I think it's time we start getting a younger, younger blood into the organization. Yeah. And he, but who, like, that's my point. Like, who is it going to be? Well, like, and, and also to your point, not only has he been, you know, the GM here for a long time, he's one of the most, I think the most tenured GM win, in the league. He's the most winningest GM of but, all time. Right, so it's like how, long, those, how long can you tout that? I know. But it is that hockey is changing. You've seen, you know, again, even with the injuries, which we didn't even talk about the Shifley hit and what have you. The game is getting faster and faster. So the style of hockey we're seeing now is totally different from what it was in the 90s when he started being a GM. Yeah. That being said, as hockey systems and schematics change, you have to change your mentality and how you approach them. And he's an old dog, and I really don't think he, you're going to teach him new tricks and how he's going to tool his roster. Um, so I'm going to bring up one point, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm off. Do the Preds have a full-on actual analytics department? Because I, they I, do not. I, so I want to bring. They, this, I think they have just one person. Exactly. So <sighs> let me go ahead and tell you the, the statistic. There was one of the analytics boys said, "Here is a list of, of the, the ones, teams," and that's what I thought. And I know Nashville was on that list. Here's that's a list of the teams okay. that have one person and their analytics department. Here's a list of the teams that have two or more analytics people. And it was like 90% of the teams that had two or more analytics people were all in the playoffs. And yeah. all the ones who didn't were not in the playoffs. I, and that's what that's to my point. And I remember hearing that. And that's why I just wanted to collaborate and make sure that I was saying it correctly. I think that is a glaring oversight. I, I think I think fundamentally he has the knowledge of you know, like what piece, of, and he he knows how to build the culture of an organization, and G, like he really nails that. But I think to you guys' point is schematics change. Like we're now into a new era of hockey. Honestly, I would be more confident in him if he went out and actually hired one or two more anal, analytic people. That and that would honestly kind of put me in like the three or four category. But right now, I have to put him at a two because of that. Because for me. You need to look at the deep analytics too. Like, I, I, here's the deal: if he starts considering Joey or Duchesne for the expansion draft, which one are you going to go after, or which one are you going to expose? Well, guess what? It better be Joey compared to Duchesne because Duchesne's numbers were off the chart as far as the analytics. You could also kind of see it too on the ice. You know, those last several games, as far as he was just everywhere. But that said, if you have a strong analytics department, you can have tangible you know what I mean? Quantifiable data to back up your decisions. And that's where, that's where I'm a little stuck on him being too old school and not embracing some of the new change. And, and, and that's, if, if he could do that, if he could bring in one or two more analytics people, I honestly would give him a three or four because I, I well, feel like the culture with the analytics would mesh well. But that said, I have to give him a two right now because I, I think that's a glaring hole in in the, in the armor here. I mean, we could we could probably honestly talk about this for 15, ten or fifteen minutes. But you know, we know about good leaders is they tend to hire people that that offset their weaknesses. But at the same time, it's hard for probably you know a veteran man of thirty years in the front office to say you need to realize that he needs statistics people when he's been doing this for thirty years. Like it's kind of hard to admit it, no, that. Th- yeah, I, 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 but once again, the game's changing. He needs to realize that too. Like that that that's where I'm at. Like I I just feel like like. If he could still bring his culture and then still embrace the change and bring in a couple analytics people, I think that would be a good marriage. And I would probably give him like a four in that case. But at this point in time, I have to give him a two because yeah. of that issue. We all seem to be on the same page, at least. Yeah. Well, then yes or no. 
Should the Predators have removed him last season? No. Yeah, no. That's that's a no. Okay. Nope. That's pretty, next question. Pretty one, interesting though, because we both gave him a two and then we said no to that question. So next question, another one, one to five. How confident are you in John Hyde's coaching ability? One to five. Ooh, I'll give it about it. a two. I'm going to go with two as well. I'm sorry, Kyle. I didn't realize we had more questions. I thought we were wrapping it up, Honest- so we were kind of talking longer than what we needed to. Honestly, this is difficult for me because it was a full season, but not a full season, technically. I mean, we played 56 games. It's usually 82. So. Still enough for a good sample size. I know. Um, I just don't know. Like, I... I'm like a 2.5. Can we go with a 2.5 for me? Because like uh, I'm gonna have to bring out the abacus up here. I'm I'm just gonna say 2.5 because I like the way we played towards the end. We played more gritty, but I still don't think that this system is going to be the you know the savior for the club. If that makes sense. Then what about um, UC Saros? Should we? Uh, he's he's becoming RFA. How long did we sign him for? Hmm, that's a good one. So the options, uh, oh, which yeah. is what I was trying to say. The options are uh, one to three years, four to six years, or seven to eight years. Not seven to eight. Well, you know me, I'm going the one to three years. Uh, I do not yeah. want to pay for past performances. Got to keep them on a short leash anyway. Uh, one to three for me. Um, Man, it depends on the price per year. <laughs> I'm with Matt, one to three, myself I, personally. I... I I'm kind of on the fence because I would like a three to four. You you never get a bad deal going with a short contract. You only get screwed on long term deals. But I would just like to know like what the the actual dollar value is going to be, and I'm going to say one to three just for now. Um, He has proven that he is the next thing. Uh, I'll put it like that. But traditionally, goalies don't get massive contracts, so I would go one to three. I would prefer three. Honestly, that's where I would be at. Three years would be perfect. Okay. I think that's the sweet zone. And what about Dante Fabro? He's going to RFA as well. Do we expose him to expansion draft, trade him, or should we resign him? My answer Ooh. is I don't care. <laughs> Fabro is not the hill I'm going to die on, so I don't care. Okay, what about Mikhail Grenlin? How important was he to us this season? Um, also, hey, you didn't even ask me that question. Do you resign him or trade him? Because you're going to probably want to resign him. Um, I honestly don't care as long with, I'm, I'm with Matt. I don't care as much, but he might actually have to be used as trade bait to take Joey. So who knows? He might be going regardless, if that makes sense in the, in the draft. So that's kind of where I'm at. If he has to go because Joey is taken, then I'm for it. Okay. That's pretty harsh. And I'm in anyway. the boat. Either way, I don't care. Resign him, trade him. Okay. It's not really going to bother me to sleep and not over that one. Mikhail Granlin. Uh, I'm going to put this one as probably somewhat important because he absolutely tore it up in the stretch. Yes, I think it was important for he, him. So you're saying very important? I thought it was very important because he was a very good, very good piece of our system for the last half of the season. Once again, it's dependent on the price, Kyle. That's, this is where I'm getting hung yeah. up on these questions because I don't know what he's going to command. But if they could do it for like a one to two year deal for maybe like five, five point five mil, I would be very happy. And that would I would put it at very I, important. I will, I will say somewhat important be, to your point. Uh, he's kind of a slightly expensive, but he's not overly expensive. If you put a high importance on signing Granlin, then that gives me higher precedence to letting go of a of a higher Albatross contract that I don't like because I'm having to make room for a fairly good player. Well, my point is this year he was very cheap because no one re-signed him. So that's my point is like, because he did so well, what is he going to command for a re-sign? And he's made it clear that he kind of actually does want to re-sign now that Hines is here. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's, this is going to be very difficult because he actually was only commanding. I can't remember what it's at. They've actually updated it now, so I couldn't see. Um, he was at 3.75 mil this year. That's extremely low. There's no way he's going under five. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Well, then should I'm, we... I'm going to put it somewhat. Well, okay, if he's somewhat important, that leads into the next question on Adam's survey, which is, which core player would you want the Preds to move on from this offseason? Can I pick two? <laughs> sure. I'd you can only it. pick one. Uh, no. We I'm, can pick two. I'm picking two. It's Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Johansson, which is crazy. That's two-thirds of the Jofa line. But for those not at home, the answers are Victor Arvidsson, Matt Duchesne, Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, Philip Forsberg, and Ryan Johansson. 
I'm uh, I know which I'm one. on the Ryan Johansson Ryan. train all day. I'm Maybe. on that train ever since he was signed. I didn't like it, so uh, he can piss off. I would say for myself, I'll probably pick uh, Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson simply because I like Victor, but he's become very injury prone. That's that's true. That's well, that was my whole point too. Like I think, like both these players, like we're going to argue that these are the two that need to go. Um, I just don't think RV. And that's sad. I just don't think he's going to get back to true form ever again. And last question on this list is, which Predator rookie made the biggest impression on you this season? So you have Alexander Carrier, <laughs> Jeremy Davies, <laughs> Tanner Dinois, Matthew Olivier, <laughs> Eli Tolvanen, or Yakov Trenin. And Matt? Tolvanen, baby. Eli Tolvanen all day, baby. He was stroking off that power play unit for a good part of the season. And uh, that's what I was looking to see from him about two years ago. Hey, at least under Coach Hines, he got a little playing time. So uh, that's what that's all I was looking for, baby. <sighs> this one's actually difficult because I, I am gonna, you know, obviously Tolvanen was the standout because of the power play difference. Um, I will say I was impressed with Alexander Carrier stepping up and also playing with Yossi on top uh, top D pair for there for a bit, and also Tanner Juneau was a flipping wrecking ball. Okay. Yeah, I like He came play. in on the fourth line, and the fourth line was actually what was getting work done. So him and, you know, Yakov and the herd, per se. So I'm actually going to go with Tolvin and one with a very close second to Tanner Janot because that line meant a lot for us in that stretch where we actually went, you know, 20 and 7. And I will agree with you on that. Tolvin and first for me, and then um, Tanner second. It's like the consolation prize, but Tanner was fabulous i mean let me let me tell you there's a couple people he laid out matt came off the couch and he was like you know that that's the kind of hit matt likes yeah you know, like and, and they were clean they're clean kind hits, of guy, baby. i mean like he he's just going for it so so matt now the survey's done we've talked a lot of stats do you have anything left that you just haven't um given to us yeah, I feel like, we, uh, I know we've been talking a long time. I feel like that survey went a little bit longer uh, than we actually expected it to be. I didn't know there was that many questions. So let me see if I can piece together maybe my top two milestones-ish that I've got a huge list this week. So let me try to narrow it down. Um, I would like to mention that I, if I heard this two or three times on air, I didn't check it, but I heard it from the people in like Hockey Night in Canada. Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, he's nominated for Vesna this year. He has, they have not released the winners yet. They've only released, they do one like every week or something. and uh, and. Mark andre Fleury has never won a Vesna, and he's going to be the third best goalie of all time. If he does not win Vesna this year, I'm going to be livid. It's going to be Vasilevsky, man. I, I know it, and I'm going to be livid. Mark andre Fleury, he's Can on you... the downhill slide, baby. He's in the seventh inning stretch. He's not going to have as good of a year as he'd had this year. We've been saying that for three or four years. It won't happen again. If he doesn't win it this year, I'm going to be extremely sad that the third best goalie of all time does oh, not have a goalie on. award. Hold on. The other night, when he gave up that puck behind the net. <laughs> you were a little mad about that. That was like, you're a flipping Vesna finalist, bro. It like literally was blowing up our chat. So uh, is true. that the play of a Vesna? You're right. You know, it, it, I tell you what, it does say something. If you're the third best goalie of all time, maybe you just had a really good team and maybe you're just not that critical in clutch or at least not compared <laughs> oh, to your... He's having to... Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm extremely uh, torn on this one. I go, bo I go both ways. So Sorry, let me, let me calm had, down. I just had to and, throw uh, that one out there. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the group chat. Let me, uh, let me go a different way. I will mention, you know, Braden Point has been on absolute tear. Dude. This is... Uh, he's now the third centerman in league history to have 12 or more goals in consecutive playoffs. And the only other two to do it are Gretzky and Lemieux, and now Braden Point. So that yeah, he's is got a, like eight goals in a row, right? Eight games in a row with a goal. Yes, it's it's unreal. And, and like looking at his production the last two seasons or uh, postseasons has been scary good. Like, I, man, what a signing for for them. I mean, he has definitely paid off. And uh, another one I'll briefly toss in is that three out of the four semifinalists this year, uh, three out of the four teams are the same as it was last year. That's the first time that's happened since 91. So that is a very unique look for hockey. Uh, but it's exciting times, Kyle. So Daniel, I know it's not Preds games, but you know, should I ask you if we have any games coming up? Because there literally is one coming up in just uh, under an hour. Ten minutes. Oh, I got, minutes, oh I got to get on the... Uh, ten minutes. We're going to go right into the other room. I got to put I'll some just, money I'll on this game. I haven't well, put any money up, on it yet. Get on there. Got to get on my fan duel here. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, basically, it's just conference finals. So, I, I don't have anything else to do I will anymore. Say, I will press. say, uh, to end on your note, since you don't have anything to say, really, 
I have Thanks. got a bit of a surprise uh, for you guys. We'll probably have next episode, and I'll share that with you guys probably on air. So be looking forward. Something good's coming in the future. And uh, Is it coming in the mail? It is, it is coming in the mail. Oh, so uh, hopefully we'll have that by next episode. It has you to guys will logo. like it. I'm pretty excited. So we'll I'm see. pretty excited. Well, that will be an interesting time for sure, Matt. So, But guys, that is the show for today. If you like it, you can find our show on Penalty Box Radio or on iTunes at Music City Gold. Until next time, guys. We will see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.